Welcome to another Art of Relationships podcast with Dr. Tim Milhoff. Dr. Chris Grace. Uh, we are here with our guest, Dr. Bradford Wilcox. And uh, Dr. Wilcox, thank you for joining us. Um, all the way from Virginia, uh, where you're a professor of sociology out there. What's the weather like out there? Uh, it's cool and rainy, so it's great to be out, <laughs> out here in Southern California today. Yeah, it's always nice weather out here. And uh, uh, Brad, you're a... Uh, one of your expertise uh, areas is in relationships, primarily in marriage, and we are just so glad to have you join us. Um, if guests haven't heard any of our previous podcasts, uh, Brad has got such an amazing background in this. He's director of the National Marriage Project at the University of Virginia, professor of sociology there. You're a visiting scholar, American Enterprise Institute, and a senior fellow at the Institute for Family Studies. And uh, Quite an impressive background. You got a new book out. I know Soulmates, about at least a couple years old now, but um, you might want to look that as well. And so we're just so glad to have you with us. We have a lot of questions about marriage and relationships. Tim, I know you've got something you're thinking about. You love to ask him. And so let's get started. Yeah. Uh, Brad, one of the things we did when we started the center is we thought, uh, what, what are the big needs that are out there? And uh, we took a look at communities that seem to just be struggling uh, economically, which puts so much stress on a family unit. Uh, so a couple of years ago, we went to Detroit, Michigan. I'm from Detroit. And so we went back to Detroit, Michigan and gave away a conference, in essence, for free, working with local pastors. And the response was overwhelming, that people really felt like, we need this, we need tools. And so your research is really centered on the fact that it, when it comes to marriage, it's not necessarily a level playing field. For a multitude of reasons, some people have more resources than others. And we wonder if you could just kind of unpack the economic realities of marriage. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Great question. Um, you know, 50 years ago, if we were sitting in this in this room <laughs> doing a radio show yeah. on, on this subject, um, there weren't really big marriage divides by class or by mm. race or ethnicity. You know, the vast majority of rich, poor Middle-class kids grew up in a married two-parent family. The vast majority of black, white, and Hispanic kids did the same thing. Unfortunately, we live in a world today now where that's not that's not true anymore, mm -hmm. where college-educated, more affluent Americans get married, and they, and they stay married and have their kids in marriage. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, what's striking is that since the 1990s, it looks like kids who are being raised in the upper middle class are more likely to have stable two parents in the background. Mm. So there's been a kind of a learning, I think, among the promoter class that marriage, at least practically, prudentially, is a good thing for them, mm. for their 401k, for their house, <laughs> for their kids, yeah. and their kids' ability to go to a school, you know, quality college and all that kind of thing. Unfortunately, that same kind of insight, same kind of orientation, same kind of experience is not so much the case um, anymore for working class and poor men, women, and their kids. We're seeing more mm -hmm. non-marital childbearing. We're seeing mm -hmm. high divorce mm -hmm. and and lots of family instability kind of among Americans who don't have that college degree, especially more working class and poor Americans. So mm -hmm. that's what's happening um, when it comes to sort of marriage in America today. Um, and so kind of there's a kind of a marital privilege, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. where people who are already kind of more privileged in terms of their education income are also privileged in terms of the you know the fact they're more likely to be getting married and to be staying married so there's a family stability privilege that they're enjoying and their kids are enjoying as well that yeah. only makes them you know that much better off in this uh, in this United States. So we're at Biola University, 
Um, explain for our listeners just a little bit the role education plays, because one of your quotes that you have that's so well put is that the United States is devolving into a separate and unequal family regime where the highly educated and the affluent enjoy strong and stable households and everyone else is consigned to increasingly unstable, unhappy and unworkable ones. But what role does education play? Why would that be a huge factor? Yeah, it's a great question. I think... The college degree is important for at least, I think, uh, three reasons. Number one is it tends to connect people to decent-paying, stable jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's really important for marriage, especially for guys. Women are still looking for guys who are stably employed, you know, yeah. who bring in a decent income. You know, they, and they may earn more than their husband, you know. Um, that's, but they want to – sort of the basic standard of kind of acceptability as a husband for most women is like – He's, he's gainfully employed. He's got a decent job. That's right. You know, he's got his life together. Um, and so having a college degree makes it easier to get a good paying, stable job. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's one key point about college education. A second point, I think, is just there is a kind of what we call a selection effect in the social sciences where the kinds of people, I think especially the kinds of guys, who are capable of you know um, delayed gratification, of homework, you know, of kind of just following a planner, you know, just doing all the things that are required to, you know, to get into a college and then to graduate from a college are the kinds of traits that are going to help you be a better spouse on average, you know, mm-hmm. so that's, I think, Paul, that's part good. of the story as well. But the third thing I think too, is that the experience of college, I think does give people um, an opportunity to develop some skills um, and to acquire some knowledge that then can, Mm-hmm. spill over in positive ways into their relationship. So yeah. you know, I think just the experience of, of um, you know, speaking up in a lecture hall, of, you know, engaging in a seminar discussion with a professor, with a student yeah. who disagrees with you. Yeah. You know, you can learn some communication skills right. that are going to serve you well, not just maybe in your workplace or in your neighborhood, but also in your relationship and your marriage. So I think the college does give people, you know, a set of cultural skills, social skills um, that can help them, um, you know, um, interact with a spouse down the road. And then we do find, too, that a substantial minority of Americans end up marrying someone from their college or university. It may not be that even someone that they've met in those four years, but that they can, you know, that they connect with, you know, two or three or four or five years mm-hmm. after they graduate. But they have this common, yeah. you know, background yeah. as an alum. Yeah you know, alumni or alumna of, um, alumnus of, you know, you know, of Biola or of UVA or some other school. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Uh, Brad, there's even some talk that some of the most, um, difficult marriages and Tim, I know you've, you've talked about this a little bit as well is, um, sometimes the most, um, marital relationships that uh, seem not to exist as much are those that are on opposite sides of the political spectrum, uh, that those relationships are almost falling away because there's it's such a deeply held value. Are you finding anything related in research in your uh, studies of marriage and divorce that kind of show there are just some areas that are not bridgeable, some chasm? So education, you know, one is, one, is, one isn't. Uh, anything like that that stands out to you? <laughs> Yeah, I've seen kind of more um, suggestive evidence that political polarization is inhibiting, you know, um, bipartisan marriages, so to speak, these days, which is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, we do see, I mean, as you, as you well know, that couples who share more 
um, in terms of their most profound commitments um, and even sort of hobbies, you know, tend to do better than couples who have less. The the idea here obviously is that friendship is an important foundation for a strong and stable marriage. And if you have similar commitments about your ultimate values, but even about kind of how you want to handle work and family, where you'd like to live, the kinds of things you like to do together or not on the weekend, the more you have in common, you know, in terms of hobbies and interests and, and, and deeper commitments, the more likely you are to enjoy that communion that mm-hmm. leads to um, a higher quality, more stable marriage. Uh, and so for you, uh, what drew you to your wife? What was, uh, obviously there was a lot of connection there. You were both at the University of Virginia and. Uh... Yeah, well, um, I, I think um, she is a you know a pretty blonde um and that was certainly a point of connection but as i said i think to you guys earlier um i saw her reading first things um at the university library before i'd gotten to know her and that's a a a good journal that addresses questions of religion public life and um so i was intrigued and wanted to kind of get to know this person who i'd seen around uh, uva's campus we'd taken a course together in nietzsche um and, uh, you know, I just, I just, you know, you could, right could tell that she was an intelligent, you know, an intelligent, engaging <laughs> yeah. person. I wanted to find out more about this person. So that was the initial point of attraction. And then once we got together, I was, yeah, very impressed by her, um, yeah, her intelligence, her, her, she read widely and had lots of interesting things to say. And in fact, I, I'm not going to get into the issue that I, but I posted an op-ed on my, on my room at the University of Virginia. I lived on the sort of the central quad at UVA. And um, unbeknownst to me, Danielle kind of wrote a note in opposition to my the op-ed that I posted on my door. So she's a very, you know, she's a very opinionated person, yeah. a very strong-willed person. And, you know, I've appreciated the fact that she's, um, you know, she, we don't always agree on things and she's willing to tell me what she thinks and she has, you know, strong views. And how do you continue to cultivate that now? And friendship and marriage, there's a lot that goes on that attracted you to each other, those kinds of things. But over the years, you've been married for 20 plus years and you continue to invest in that. And so what are the things that uh, our listeners would like to hear from you about that? What what have you learned that is important in terms of investments with that? Yeah, well, we have, um, we've got a lot of kids at home um, and we have a mix of adoptive and biological kids. So well, our, how many are you? We have nine kids, five adoptive what? and four. Excuse, I could have sworn you said nine. <laughs> yeah, we've got nine kids, yeah. So... I think one thing that we're kind of in, in the phase of our lives, you know, and have been for a while where we're not kind of, I, I think some people want to have like sort of like this peak view of marriage, like everything is like a peak experience oh, and, you yeah. know, you're these long conversations yeah. and, you know, yeah. really great outings. And, you know, we're not at the point right now where we can do a lot of that, you know. Um, and But I also think, frankly, we don't think that's the most important thing, you know. Mm. We have a lot of kids with a lot of different needs. Right. And so, you know, our the sort of like that intense romantic relationship is sort of a little bit more muted right now for us uh-huh. at this stage in our lives. Um, but having said that, we also do, um, we really do make a point of getting out, I'd say every, at least every week for a wow. date night, you oh, know. And, awesome. Even in the midst of oh, all yeah, the kids. Oh, yeah, totally. And, that's, yeah. That and we're great. fortunate to have my in-laws in Charlottesville. Hmm. And so they really help with, you know, babysitting and Ferrying kids to soccer games right, and you know, all that right. kind of stuff, you know, keeping or gymnastics, keeping our kids kind of, you know, yeah. 
connected to some different activities. Um, What's so the age range of your children? Our oldest is 18. Our youngest is four. Eight and a four. <laughs> yeah. well, awesome. we, have, we have twins who are eight. Would so. you, you like to take a nap during this uh, <laughs> interview? Feel free just yeah. to yeah. catch a quick power. And a, but I love, what, I love what you said that, and I think sometimes this surprises undergrad students, that, that marriage really are these seasons. Yes. And dating is often filled with passion, and it should be, right? But, but expect seasons of life to happen where, um, and, and I was so judgmental when I was single. I mean, the things I said to my wife before we got married is that we will never do this. I will always be enraptured by, and stuff. And then you get taught, you know, kids. And, and uh, so I think that seasons of life thing is very wise. But you are known for promoting uh, what is called the date night opportunity, that you're very pro. You, you, so you actually um, practice what you preach, and you've written extensively about the, the positive quality of a date night. And again, I, could you define date night for us? Because I don't want people to just think economics here. Like, well, we obviously can't have a robust date night because finances are really strapped. But what would constitute a good date night and what would be some of the benefits and, of that? And if you could speak in any way positively that a date night can have a drive-through window. I'm trying to convince my <laughs> wife that it's okay. If they have a dollar menu, yes. it still counts. But Super she, size of dating. Yeah, she, she's actually very flexible and, and enjoy But right. some people don't like right, that. Right, so right. what do you think? Yeah. When I think about date nights, I'm thinking really just of an opportunity for, for couples to get out and do something different. You know, something that's outside of the house, out of the, you know, out of the routine. Um, and it could be, you know, yeah, you could go to you know Chipotle if you want to do it on the cheap. If you know, you could go to a movie, you could go uh, for a walk, dancing. You could go for a walk, certainly. But to kind of do something that sort of that is punctuating your week or mm. or punctuating that two week period that's that's clearly kind of different than the normal routine. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, you're kind of you're putting aside, you know, planning for your kids' activities. You're putting aside, yeah. you know, financial concerns. You're putting aside, kind of the more prosaic dimensions of family life and really spending time doing some things that are fun or or doing things that allow you to have like a serious, but sort of enriching conversation, Um, you know, or, you know, doing things that are somehow kind of unusual or spending time with, you know, good friends, you know, um, and building your friendships with other people as well would be kind of my sort of view of what a date night could look like. What's your go-to date night? What's your, what's your, with nine kids? Yeah. What's um, the go-to? No, there's, there's a, just a, a good Italian restaurant, you know, mm. in town that we like to yeah. go and, um, you know, you should go there and um, it's just a long kind of dinner Friday night kind of thing. Usually. Yeah. That's, that's probably our most common. I remember when our kids were really young and we, you know, I'm in grad school and there's not much money is that we would say to the kids, Hey, go upstairs. We're going to pop in a, a video do not come down unless you've seen Jesus bodily. <laughs> Do not. And Marie and I would make coffee and sit and have all electronics off, TV off, and we would just sit and talk. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I love the idea of getting outside of the house. But sometimes it's like, sure. hey, let's just carve a time right. yeah. and sit and just do special. something different that's right. special. Yeah. I, yeah, I really like right. that. You mentioned a couple of different things about dating that I thought was good is um, focusing on communication during a date night, you mentioned um, the commitment aspect where you review your commitment and recommit to each other and say, hey, this, this relationship is important enough for us to carve out time. And you say it's a time to distress as well. I think that's great. Uh, what, what has been the results of couples who regularly... And by the way, I want to just... Uh, I, I kid 
Chris a lot, and rightfully so. But him and Elisa are my heroes when it comes to date nights. Mm. You, you guys been married how long? Well, 30 plus. Coming on and you, <laughs> if I remember this correctly, you started this really early in the marriage, yeah. and you almost weekly yeah. go on a date night. Yeah, we were challenged early on in premarital counseling to have a, Chris, a regular... so was I. So was I in my marriage. And I love my wife, Noreen. I dedicate this whole show to you that... I'm so sorry. But I, I think that's really admirable, Chris. Yeah. What are the benefits that you've seen uh, well, from a regular date night? And then, uh, and then what does the research say? Uh, yeah, Brad? the benefits for us have been just this idea, thanks, Tim, uh, the idea of feeling uh, that we are in this together. It, it's almost more unified and uh, surprises don't come up as often, you know, and where mm -hmm, a person mm -hmm. is going, you know, in their heart or thoughts. But no, so that, that's, I think for that's us, good. it's just that feeling of strongly connectedness um and and sometimes it just yeah just being able to share on a regular basis with somebody that you you know value as a friend and and as an intimate partner is so yeah and again it can get expensive so we i actually have found some of the most cheapest places when we had young children man we would go to taco bell and have a date night for three bucks you know right, and yeah, like okay yeah. this counts yeah uh, we got older yeah. now our taste of you know chipotle <laughs> now is much better so but brad you've you've researched this you've actually found that yeah, there are so benefits we find the couples who um my colleague jeff do and i have found that couples who spend at least kind of um once a week um, having some kind of date night. Okay, we're done with that. Uh, <laughs> no, are about three times, you know, more likely. So they're very happy in their marriages. And then yeah. couples who are reporting more couple time together in this this big national survey called the NSFH. And um, doesn't define precisely what they're doing, but sort of the, it's asking them kind of talk about time they're spending away, mm -hmm. you know, just as a couple together. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it approximates, you know, a date night of some sort. Mm -hmm. um, the more that they do that. Um, less likely they are to be uh, getting divorced mm -hmm. a number of years later in this longitudinal survey. So, um, you know, the research suggests here that, you know, couples who are spending more time together in a, in a kind of a, a way to cultivate the, the mm -hmm. eros, the romance, the friendship in their relationship mm -hmm. are more likely to be flourishing both in the moment and more likely to be avoiding divorce down the road. Now, I think skeptics would say, well, you know, if you're enjoying a high-quality relationship, you're probably more likely to be inclined to go on right. these kind of regular dates. And so, right. you know, I don't want to sort of contend that a date night is the cure-all. Um, yeah. But I do think um, this is true for parents and kids as well, you know, um, and friendships. You know, yeah. the mark of a good relationship in part is that people spend time together yeah. in intentional yeah. ways. And that's true for spouses, ways, parents, yeah. friends. And, what, and so this brings to mind, of course, John Gottman and others' findings. He calls it the magic of five hours. And I know you know his research and study out. But that, that, what did you think about that? I mean, that's literally what he's saying, right? That couples who are struggling, he took these couples, tracked them over time in some of these longitudinal studies, found the difference between three, four years later, there were a group of these couples that were thriving and a group that were continuing to strive. And the main difference between them was about five hours, and he called it the magic of five hours. So they had five hours. What? Well, five hours a week. Or, or, uh -huh. okay. The couples that were thriving simply found a way to find five more hours in the course of one week mm. to spend time together. Mm. And that you can imagine, you could do a date night for three hours. That's that counts. A, a dinner one night, uh, right. just more time than wow. what they were doing, and 
that was one of the key separators between couples that were doing well and not. So that's kind of what you're... Yeah, and that makes sense to me. And I think the challenge there for all of us is that we have to um, limit, you know, Netflix, limit Instagram, limit Facebook, um, limit Twitter for me, you know, all these things that can distract us from spending time with our spouse or our kids or our friends. Um, You know, and so people say, well, I'm so busy and blah, blah, blah. Then you look at the social media feed, like, well, maybe you're not so busy, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so then, Brad, what, define two things. A, uh, I want to talk. What is a date? Uh, you know, well, in, in general, there, you kind of talked about what a date is. It can be almost anything that takes you away from what you might be spending time on uh, individually, and that happens to be. I know, as a sociologist, over the course of many years in this country, one of the key problems has been that the amount of Whatever it is, and it's been television that's been a very big problem uh, because it takes people away from that engagement. So today, in this tech, sophisticated, connected world, what's some advice for couples on how to disengage from that, whether it is TV or Netflix or the latest variations of social media? Can can I interject? Brad, I want your opinion on this. But couldn't we argue that a couple sitting together – watching their favorite Netflix show mm-hmm. and engaging about it, yeah. could, could, that could work. Yes, I think that's right. But I think it's, it's all about, in terms of the on that stuff, it's, it's the moderation, right? And so, right. I mean, uh, my wife and I just binged on Bosch, just, you know, Amazon, <laughs> you know, Amazon detectors. We did the crown. We did the crown. Set, you know, set yeah, here yeah. in Los Angeles. And yeah, but... And Stranger Things for us. Oh, but there's, yeah, yeah. there's so much you could yeah. watch, right? right? You could spend hours and hours and you'd actually never really end up you know, communicating with your spouse or your mm-hmm. kids or your neighbors yeah. or your friends. Yeah. So I think in moderation, yes. And the thing, same thing is true for our smartphones. And so we have like oh, a little charging station in our kitchen. And, that's you know, good. the challenge to the, the adults and the teenagers is, look, when you come in, that's, you know. And, of course, it's not always, you know, that sort of rule, so to speak, is not always followed. But the aspiration is to kind of right. keep the phones in the charging station. And, yeah, if you've got to call a friend, you know, whatever, check on your homework, you know, whatever, check on, you know, a message from a colleague, that's fine. But the idea is you're not kind of carrying this device all around the household with you at all times because that's when it becomes a real distraction. Yeah. Well, I'd love to see the size of your charging station with nine well, children. They're, 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 they're they don't all things got to be the size of a <laughs> Yeah, we only, we only have the oldest two only. <laughs> oh, the oldest so, so. Sponsored by NASA. <laughs> um, so uh, what we get at marriage conferences that we speak at is – when people think of an affair, they always tend to think of an extramarital affair. But what yeah. I've noticed over the years that the number one affair it seems like people are having is a family affair. In other words, the kids get all the time, attention, mm-hmm. energy. So that magical five yeah. hours, Chris, yeah. there's not five hours. It's all the kids. So I, I, we get couples coming to a family life marriage conference who say this is the first time in five years we've yeah. been away together. And you're shaking your head. So that's what we're talking about is we're all, we all strive to be good parents. And I think sometimes we overdo it yeah, a little bit in right. the fact that there's, there's nothing left for my spouse because I'm just wiped out from work, kids, projects, all those different kind of things. Yeah, my, my mother-in-law would tell my wife when she was growing up that, you know, that she and her dad uh, were going to be together after the kids had gone you know, away from the house. And uh. she was clearly telling Danielle that you're really important to me. 
But you know what? You know, my husband is Bill, <laughs> and he's my primary yeah. kind of concern. So I think that's yeah. there's not enough of that in I think enough households, particularly among the upper middle class, who spend a lot of time on things like soccer and piano and violin yeah. and you know all that gymnastics, um, and you know not really recognizing that you've got to also reserve time for your spouse yeah. and for you know your church community and everything else that. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think for a lot of kids too, we know at least in athletically, for instance, that being exposed to a wide range of sports, you know, until you're like, you know, 13, 14, 15 is a great thing. And you don't really need to do the intensive maniacal training in one sport, you know, and that people who kind of are broadly exposed to a variety of sports, they can kind of figure out in mid adolescence, which one's best for them and then specialize more. But that's going to take raw courage to do sure. to pull that trigger. And that's going to be the, com- right. you're going to have to be part of a community yeah. that supports that kind of decision. I'll never forget, Brad. Uh, we were um, invited to speak at a family camp in um, Texas and, but our kids made the all-star team in baseball. And it was during family camp. And I remember making that phone call to the coach saying, I'm sorry, take the two meal hot boys off the list. Cause we'll be at family camp. He said, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. There's never been a parent called me. So we're taking the kids. Like, Can't your kids stay? I said, well, it's called family camp. We'd like to have them at family camp. <laughs> right, but right. that's going to take a community sure, where right. my friends said, hey, good for you. Right. Good for you. And guess what? Your kids are going to recover. Right. By the way, they never have. They hate me to this day. <laughs> but you know what I mean? That's therapy right now. <laughs> your, yeah, your thing about community, that's sure. where it comes into play is we're going to have to have people who fight against some of these powerful cultural riptides that we're experiencing today. Yeah. And you got to make time for it. Yeah, and do. if there's not time, you're just not going to have community. So, yeah. Well, let's do this. There's uh, a number of questions that we have for you as well. Uh, thanks for being such a good, great, great guest. Um, and we I, really appreciate what you do, Brad. It is such a benefit to us as our center to be able to know that we have trusted researchers out there and that we can pull from your information. Uh, you're balanced. I, I love how you qualify what you're saying. And it talks about, you know, um, people living together and single parents. And uh, it's just really the nice tone and the quality research. We thank you. Thanks for so thanks for being a guest. And uh, we'll talk to you guys again next time. Yeah, right. bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.